Ian Trotcher here. Discussions of truth from Colorado Springs. We're at the Re- Reawakening Tour. Clay Clark. And I have a fine lawyer sitting with me now. His name is... David Clements. David Clements, Esquire. Please give an uh, introduction as to who you are, sir. I am a professor at New Mexico State University for another two weeks. Uh, I've been suspended for refusing to take the vaccine or be tested or wear a mask. Uh, prior to that, I've been one of the faces of the ground game. So you might have seen me on the war room with Steve Bannon, where we are demanding full forensic audits in every single state in the country. Uh, before that, I was on Tucker Carlson back in January for standing up to my university president um, after he basically condemned what happened on January 6th and compared all Trump supporters to insurrectionists, racist persons of treason. And uh, so since then, I had a little, little platform of about 10 people on YouTube. And now I've got about 150,000 people that are following me, trying to figure out what to do to restore the republic. David, uh, take us back a little bit here. Uh, When did you realize that the republic needed to be restored? Oh, 2004. (laughs) But it's been a slow death. And so, you know, I, you know, I think many of us have had our eyes open for a long time. What, what happened in 2004? Well, there, there's lots of things. I, I became aware of the Federal Reserve at a young age. A lot of things, the talking points between Republicans and Democrats would always talk about pork barrel spending. And so a million dollars for this project, a million dollars for that project. And then you see the national debt skyrocketing. And I remember vividly uh, looking just at the numbers um, and saying, okay, this looks like an organization that has absolutely no oversight, and I end up being proven right. My long paper in law, in law school, basically the equivalent of a thesis, was on whether or not the Federal Reserve had ever received a meaningful audit, and the answer to that is no. And at the time, you're looking at a national debt of about $8 trillion, and at that time, $8 trillion went missing. And I remember seeing an interview with the Inspector General, and she was asked point blank, where did $8 trillion go? And she had no answer for it. So when you see that and you notice that no politician talks about it ever, uh, it's a giant red pill moment. Um, also the 9-11 events with Building 7, where there wasn't a plane that hit that building. It was a free fall collapse. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of questions being asked and no sound investigations. So you see things like that and you're like, look, I mean, I and many other Americans are being silenced on just asking questions to make sense of the world around us. And then I continued on um, as someone who ran for office and experienced firsthand in my own race fraud, uh, hacking. I was sued frivolously for several years. And um, so my eyes have been open for a while, and I ran for office a long time ago. Uh, So you add all that up together, and um, I also failed to mention I was a prosecutor for about 10 years. So I've, I've taken on drug trafficking organizations, criminals. And um, so I'm, I'm accustomed to seeing people that do evil things and try to avoid responsibility for it. Uh, so it's been an evolution, but I mean, uh, you know, the people that, what do we say now? The difference between a conspiracy theory and conspiracy facts about six months. And that's where we're at right now. Let me ask you a question. You're, 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 you're one of the rare people that I speak to that immediately starts to talk about the Federal Reserve. Uh, let me just ask you this question. Uh, meshing uh, 
that with a, a word that you've mentioned here. Is the Federal Reserve a conspiracy? No, I mean, it's, it's a very real thing. Um, but when you look at the, the creation of the Federal Reserve Board, it was very different in, in its origins. But it came around at the same time with the creation of the federal income tax. I think it was 1913. And we also had uh, the 17th Amendment where we changed how our senators were elected. So we saw a removal of state sovereignty and we saw an expansion of, of taxation and this uh, basically a cabal of bankers that were actually, these are private corporations that ended up having major impacts on all the financial institutions and our decision making. And it's only gotten worse over the past hundred years. If you look at the purchasing price of the dollar, uh, it's basically been extinguished. You look at the Bretton Woods Agreement, you look at us getting off the gold standard. We've become weaker and weaker as a nation. And we were at one time the largest creditor nation, now we're the largest debtor nation. And so you can't really look at the world around you and understand it unless you understand the world of finance. And now we're in this huge uh, controversy over the elections pandemic. And so it's the same, same analysis for me as you follow the money. And you follow the money that goes to certain politicians that are elected. And it doesn't seem to matter if you look at who supported Mitt Romney and you look at who supported Barack Obama. It's the same banks. That's curious to me. Why would you have the same financial donors uh, to two different candidates that supposedly have different platforms? doesn't make sense to me. So um, you have to always keep an eye, uh, an eye out for the banks, the financial engines out there. And, um, and that's what I've done. Let me rephrase my question to you, David. Mm -hmm. The United States has uh, a law that prohibits uh, a tyrannic corporation. And that's a term used as a monopoly. Okay, inform as a lawyer. Uh, there's an antitrust law against that type of thing from happening. The Sherman Should, Act. Sherman Act. Sherman Act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is the Federal Reserve Central Bank a monopoly? Absolutely. I mean, when you, I, I would invite anyone that listens to your show to read the creature from Jekyll Island. The creature from Jekyll Island. And Jekyll Island is, at, is located outside of Georgia, and that was there was a retreat that actually happened with all the major bankers and financiers on how they were going to take control over our financial systems. They wanted to squash out smaller banks. There was a series of bank runs, at least that was the propaganda, where people didn't have confidence in the banks, and they decided to squeeze out all competition and uh, put themselves in charge. So it's absolutely a monopoly. It's absolutely a cartel. And... Um, and look no further than, you know, the threat that credit unions pose. Credit unions uh, were not to blame for the, the Great Recession of 2008. Yet every single candidate that's out there that runs is told to try to squash out this small competitor. So it's absolutely a monopoly. Um, there's never enough. It's the Federal Reserve Bank. And I'm just going to kind of go down this road a little bit more with sure. you. I appreciate it. Is the Federal Reserve Bank in violation of the Constitution in any way? Yes and no. Um, if you're an originalist, if you're someone that looks at the text of, of the Constitution, then yes. But unfortunately, over the past 200 years, we've got the advent of the living constitutionalist where you've got case law and case law decisions that have what we call precedential value. 
and uh, the originalists like myself are in the minority. So we don't teach the law classes, we don't sit on the benches, and we don't render decisions that are consistent with the founders. So I would say that if you're a constitutionalist, it's absolutely unconstitutional to have a centralized bank uh, that's issuing currency that you can't even coin at this point. Because we talk about sound currency was very important to the founders. There's an expression back in the day where uh, when we couldn't pay our soldiers, it was worthless as a continental. And so they made sure that we wanted to have sound money. And when we got off the gold standard, we basically declared bankruptcy to the world. We have a printing press and we do deficit spending. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's uh, to answer your question, I don't believe it's constitutional, but unfortunately, I'm in the minority. So you're talking about the gold standard that would be known as the Nixon shock, mm -hmm. 1971. What's happening right now at your institution in New Mexico? Well, um, I'm a bit of a unicorn in the sense that I, I, I'm a conservative and I've become more outspoken because I, I feel like um, the political climate has expanded to target, uh, without any risk, conservative students, conservative faculty. It's a, it's a Marxist community. And so Marxists hate all of the traditional Western University of New Mexico? Uh, New Mexico State University. That's where I work. But it, you can go to any university, and it's going to be the same Marxist dogma. Um, so it's, it appears to me that the culture is, is one that embraces godlessness, that embraces uh, social construct theory across the board. And um, there's no sense of right or wrong. And so that's, that's the environment that I'm in. And we don't even pretend to follow the science. We don't even pretend to follow uh, traditional norms. And so it's dangerous right now to be a free thinker. And, and so one of the reasons why I've been suspended from my position is because I refuse to wear a mask after looking at one year's worth of scientific literature, looking at the focused lockdown protections versus um, the ones that aren't focused looking at the size of the virus in relation to the mass that we wear. And then we look at the experimental vaccines that uh, we're told are safe. They're absolutely not. We look at the VAERS data, look at the efficacy studies. And then we have even the testing methods with the PCR test, which are completely flawed. You follow the science, the, the safest thing to do is not take any of the vaccines and actually start talking about the treatments that work that have been suppressed by big pharma, like hydroxychloroquine, like budesonide, like ivermectin. Uh, we have a 99.98 survival rate just with our natural human body response, and we could get that closer to 100% if we didn't have people like Dr. Fauci suppressing the truth and suppressing these treatments that work and they've been proven to work. Why is the truth being suppressed? I think, in part, you've got a Marxist philosophy that power-hungry folks desire, and they want a, a two-class system. They want the ruling elite, and they want the servant class. That's what you'll find in every Marxist regime, whether it's in communist China, Venezuela. You've got the servants, and you've got the rulers. And they want to remake America in that image. And so they're fine with us wearing masks. They're fine with people having servant jobs. But free thinkers, capitalists, people that can create their own wealth and get out there and be free, that's dangerous to them. 
where is this coming from, in your view? I think it's twofold. You've got an external threat from communist China that is the epicenter of Marxism. And then you also have something that's closer to home, which is a spirit of godlessness. We have abandoned God in every sphere, whether it's in the school, whether it's at government, and more specifically in the church. We don't even preach the gospel in churches because people are worried about their 501c3 statuses, right? Um, and when you remove God from the equation, you're left with all the opposite traits of humanity. So instead of being other-centered, you're self-centered. Instead of being committed to the truth, you're committed to lies. Instead of being uh, someone that, that practices servant leadership, it's someone that wants to master someone like a slave. Um, and so that's that's a historical, uh, you can look at all of history and see that wherever you don't have a Christian ethic, usually the country's fair poor, they do worse, and there's usually um, a culture of death. And unfortunately, we've abandoned our core beliefs, and we're starting to see that here in, in the U.S. Not starting to. We've actually started seeing it about 30 years ago. But now we're, we're on the cusp of losing the country. The Central Bank of China was created as a result of World War II, 1945. The Chinese have since adapted and put into practice, as you suggest, the epicenter of Marxism being impressed upon the United States. Communism, as we know it through the philosophies, suppose is a good way of saying of Marx, does not incept from China, it incepts from Germany. Do you see any correlation from Marxism being a European-based, German-based philosophy, how is that equating to China and therefore now controlling the United States culturally? Now, with that said, David, what we have been doing for 30 years, we have been building China up economically, right, by allowing our corporations to manufacture our products, iPhone, computer, tennis shoes, in China. What does America do today? So I hear, I think, two questions. First thing is, how do we account for the migration of Marxism? And you're right, when you look at uh, the Marxist movements of Stalin or Hitler, I define Marxism in, in a much more broad way because it's it's adaptable. Marxism is simply setting up an oppressor-oppressed construct, right? And so the early version of it was bourgeoisie, proletariat, rich, poor. And we wanted to set those classes against one another. We've seen it repurposed here in America because the problem for the, the Marxists was that people could leave the lower class so quickly and achieve prosperity here. So that model doesn't work, so they repurposed it to have a race component because we have the great sin of slavery in our country. And so the oppressor is white, the oppressed is black. And that's been exploited to the point with the George Floyd stuff. And so now if you're not a part of an intersectional group, 
who has some type of class or, or, or identity struggle, um, if you are anything but atheist, lesbian, gay, minority, then your platform not only has to be silenced, it must be. I mean, that's, that's just the reality that we live in. So someone like myself who looks white uh, needs to be canceled because of the sin of being born a certain color and, uh, or, or being born a male. So that's the way that Marxism has taken shape now because it works in America. And we know it's working because we've got this white guilt uh, type of thing that we've seen, even with Obama. There's a phenomenon with two, in 2008 where no one looked at the candidates' policies, but we thought, man, wouldn't it be great if the most powerful man in the world was black and we could finally close the door on our great sin? And so there are a lot of white voters that simply voted for him to get the collective racist monkey off our nation's back. And what happened? We've, we let in a closet Marxist through the door. He perpetuated critical race theory and completely undid the prescription of Martin Luther King Jr. of content of our character. A Christian ethos. That was working. That's the reason why Obama was elected, because of Martin Luther King and a vision of content of character. That completely was unraveled as soon as this person exploited that, and um, and we fell asleep. So I think that's question number one of what's the genesis from Europe to China to America. Um, as far as the second question, what do we do now? How do we combat it? We combat it by lifting up our stories. Uh, we've lost our stories. If you look at the Wanda Group, which is a communist shell corporation, they bought AMC theaters, they bought Carmack Studios, they bought the Iron Man, they bought commercial real estate in Vancouver. They Wanda are, Studios. Want the Wanda Group. Wanda Group. And so they bought Legendary Studios. They bought all of these culture centers of America. And when you do that, you do something really, really effective. We all know that uh, politics is downstream from, from, from the culture. The culture is downstream from art. And so when we make our movies, that's our art. And you find out that Communist China, through the Wander Group, owns 99% of our movie theaters. And you try to make a movie in America, part of that discussion of, of financing your film is distribution. And if there's any discussion with, with someone with the Chinese Communist Party that China's going to look bad and America's going to look great, you're not going to be able to make that film. And we know that. We've got 34 films that are allowed to be, that are American-made, that are allowed to be uh, shown in China. There's a quota. And then you'll get bizarre things that happen as a result of this type of phenomenon. You'll have, um, you know, movie The Martian with Matt Damon. Everyone saw it. They loved that movie. So you've got a certain phenomena in that movie where you've got um, Matt Damon being stranded on Mars because the Americans were inept. Americans try to save him. They can't because they're inept. And China comes into the, to the storyline through their benevolent spirit, their technology, and they help us rescue us from ourselves. You've got a different movie like First, First Man or First Mission with Ryan Gosling. And you've got the, um, um, the most theatrical scene that you could ever have in a moon landing film would be the planting of the American flag. Well, that movie sent its script to the communist script doctors, and they said, no, you're not going to plant the American flag. And we said, yes, sir. And then for the more popular films, like Top Gun, everyone remembers Tom Cruise's bomber jacket where he's got the Taiwanese flag. You look at the trailer for Top Gun 2, there's a geometric symbol that kind of looks like Taiwan, but it's not the Taiwanese flag. 
that's because we answer to China. And so as a result over the past 30 years, something's changed where oh, our no. young men and women get out now our young men and women from a cultural standpoint excuse me stop it for right now Ian please stop it uh, what in the world's going just, on just folks, stop it for a second uh, folks we're going to pause for a moment we, we're still recording okay uh, but uh, yes Pamela uh, we need to let him go he needs to do an interview and then he can come back. If he chooses. We've been told that you need to go over there. Okay. Um, and then you can come back. Yeah. It's awful that they're doing it. So, CJ, oh, he's willing to go. I, I don't know. That's up to you. Uh, Brandon House, National Television Show. They want you and Joe Whitman cool. right for the next 30 minutes, cool. if you can. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, okay. That was somebody who was never supposed to be in here. So. I'm sorry, Ian. Can he come back right after? Would you like to come back to? It's fine. I just I have an event uh, right after. You and you and he are going to the same event. Yeah, I know, I know. But okay. I also got my wife to take care of. So. Okay, to do something good. Just in case, let me give you our card. Here you go. I, I'm fine. Just okay. Uh, okay. I got we'll a stack you. of cards. Okay, off. I'm supposed to. Sorry. Ian. She was awesome. I, I don't know. Am I supposed to follow her? Well, am I supposed to follow her orders? She was fucking Marlon. 